HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Radio. This is Severin speaking. It is 4 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. This is... Oh. Hello, this is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio. Welcome to the show. This is 4 o'clock on Thursdays at Heritage Radio Network. We are sponsored by Hearst Family Ranch. Thank you, Hearst Family Ranch. And thank you, Meg. I'm joined by Meg Gardner on the phone from Vermont. Um, Meg, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Meg. How's it going? It's going good. We've been having a lot of rain. How about you? Uh, yeah, we've been having a ton of rain. I just came in from picking and harvesting a whole bunch of veggies from our field, and it's pretty muddy out there. Um, well, thanks so much things for joining us to be today, going. and okay. um, I'd love it if you could start out with who you are and, and what you grow and where you grow it. Okay. You're cutting out a little bit, but that's okay. Um, I we am both talk Meg really Gardner, loud, then we can, and then we'll be able to hear I live other. in Craftsbury, Vermont on an organic vegetable farm called Pete's Greens, and I live here with Pete, and him and I are partners here, and we run this four-season organic vegetable operation. Um, you want me to talk a little bit about where I grew up? Yeah. Or a little bit more about the farm here first? So where did you grow up, Meg? I grew up in East Montpelier, Vermont, which is about 40 minutes from where I live now, and I grew up on an organic uh, dairy farm, and my dad is currently the second or third largest organic dairy farm in Vermont now, and he milks a little over 200 cows, so I grew up pretty much milking cows and doing a lot of chores, and my summers were full of haying, but there's a lot of playing there, too. It's kind of a, the farm life. It's work and play all mixed together there. Uh, is your father scandalized that you fell in love with a vegetable farmer and not a, a dairy farmer? <laughs> That's a good question. He, I think he's handling it okay. I, he has four daughters, and I am the oldest of the four girls, and I don't know if any of us are, I'm certainly not, and I don't know if any of my three younger sisters are interested in taking over the dairy farm that he's created. Um, yeah, I think he's a little disappointed, but 
we have a lot of fun comparing stories, and it's kind of fun that we're each doing our own thing and both still farming. And, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. A couple years ago, I was really interested on gr- in growing vegetables on his dairy land, and he was not into it. He was like, you're not going to make any money growing vegetables. I need this land for my cows. And I was like, I really want to do this, Dad. This is the best way for me to be able to start off farming. And, yeah, so that just didn't work. But now it's kind of funny because I've joined Pete here, and my dad's all about me growing on his land now. He's like, I really want you to grow vegetables here. It would be a great opportunity. And it's like there's just no way I can be in both places at once. But he's actually looking for somebody who might be interested in growing on his land and selling with him creating a nice little farm stand, and, I mean, there's even potential for a CSA and another CSA in the Montpelier area. Wow, that sounds like a great opportunity for someone. Huh? That sounds like a really great opportunity. Um, to, so, I, um, I can't hear you very well, so keep talking really loud. Okay, yeah, and you keep cutting out, too, so. Okay, cool, so we'll just both try hard. We're both, it, the, the connections in our rural areas are not so good for radio so we have um we have to tell obama that we need rural um rural phone lines to be improved okay and we can yell into the phone at the same time yeah <laughs> okay um, that sounds good tell tell me and, and and our audience if you would a little bit please about the state of dairy in vermont right now and and nationally what's going on and and any insight that you have from your dad about why um why the price of dairy has fallen so low? Well, I actually, I, th- I think there's a few different reasons why the price has fallen. I mean, a couple years ago, in terms of organic, we had an influx of people. The price had dropped so low on conventional milk that many, many, many farmers were transitioning into organic. And at that point in time, there was actually so many people that were transitioning, these large commercial organic milk companies did not have the capacity to take on all these new farms. So these new farms ended up getting put on waiting lists, and um, as the space opened, they would then be allowed to sell their milk, say, to like Horizon or Organic Valley. But during that time, these organic, now new organic operations were still getting conventional prices for their milk. Um, so anyway, so that, I think, started the whole thing where all of a sudden there was this huge influx of organic, there was a huge influx of organic milk. And then the economy kind of went to hell. And, I mean, I've heard different things because I've been talking to my dad a little bit about it, and he says that there actually isn't, in a ridiculous abundance of milk. But I've heard from a lot of people now there's just this huge abundance of milk, and that's why the prices are so low. Um, But I think that people are not willing to pay as much in general, and um, the actual sales have gone down. I mean, what's happening right now is the price of milk isn't actually dropping, say, for somebody like my dad, what they are doing, however, is they're forcing farmers to cut back on production, and 
that is causing a lot of problems. So it's, it's kind of a way ar- around the, the uh, commercial milk companies. They're still upholding their contracts because they're not actually reducing the cost of the milk. They're just putting a restriction on how much can be shipped. So, so the they in this case is the milk pool coordinator, so the Horizons or yes. the Organic Valleys or um, other regional milk pools are yes. cutting their quota, cutting um, the, yeah, is it a quota? Yeah, it's a quota. And an attempt to keep the prices stable. Exactly. Right. You said it perfectly. <laughs> and and the, thing, the thing that's interesting is this is... Um, Recently, uh, in Switzerland, they nationalized a lot of the dairy um, processing. It's a company called Emi, Mm -hmm. and there were major protests, and um, farmers who were worried about losing control of their their regional dairy pool, and um, in fact, then the price of milk went way down also, Um, and um, there's, Hmm. there's some research that we should be doing and learning about, you know, what, what is the dynamic of, of um, what is the dynamic that's at play here? Yeah. Um, I know that then, you know, in response to that price drop, new regional dairies um, sprung up. Mm-hmm. Um, farmers, you know, taking initiative to, to reorganize themselves in smaller groups that are kind of more responsive to their needs and serve local markets and particularly niche markets. Yeah. Um, but the... There, I know that there has been some dirty business um, um, in the kind of meta dairy world. Yeah. And the, um, there was recently um, a big stink because they, the guy who's representing the dairy um, association flew around in his jet airplane and was taking um, million-dollar, um, I don't know, there are some hmm. scandals. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, and, I've really um, been encouraging my dad. I, mean, I think there's also the a lot of. I heard rumors from the cornucopia people that there's a lot of um, milk casein powder coming huh. in and being used in um, like ice creams and things. Oh yeah. And so the demand, the kind of processed food demand for milk is also going down. But these uh, are a little bit yeah. unsubstantiated. So perhaps I should do some more research and and talk about milk again. Yeah. Next week. Oh, that Actually, oh, cool. we are doing that. We're going to talk about ne- milk again next week. Um, we're going to talk about um, raw milk next week. Oh, super. Yeah, that's great. I was just going to mention a big thing in Vermont is we're really pushing for more and more raw milk to be, I mean, we're, we're pushing for raw milk to be much more accessible to people, and a law and- was just passed um, within just a few months ago a law was passed so that farmers can now sell 40 gallons of milk per day and it can actually be of raw milk and it can actually be delivered now as long as each of the people who are receiving the milk have visited the farm once and also they have access to the farm whenever they want to go back and check it out. So that's been really cool because my dad's been selling a small amount of raw milk but he's definitely considering trying to do a more direct-to-consumer um, sort of sales plan. And it's pretty exciting that even though, I mean, Vermont's been really tough with its raw milk laws, but it's great to see that it's moving forward. So 
I'm pretty psyched about that. And my dad's psyched about it, and I, I deliver milk currently, usually after our farmer's market. I just stop by my dad's, and I pick up milk for people who love, you know, getting his milk, and it works really well because I'm just on my way home, and any way to pretty much get it out there. And the demand for raw milk is only growing. There's Definitely. My friend, um, well, somebody that I heard about once is a courier in the Underground Milk Railroad. Yeah. And she said that in New York City people are paying $12 a gallon. Damn, that's crazy. Which is, yeah. Whoa. Wow, yeah, it's um, 6 bucks a gallon here. And, um, yeah, it's great milk. It's awesome. I mean... I'm so happy to see my friends and family. I mean, I was raised on raw milk, but it's great to see people are just, they want it. It's amazing. So, um, um, we're pretty okay. blessed Well, let's talk about your, you know, another part of a complete diet is, beyond raw milk is uh, raw and delicious, delicious green vegetables. Yes. Let's talk <laughs> about what your business looks like and um, um, how it, how you, well, you just came on the scene slightly recently um, in, the, in that business. So maybe yeah. describe what it's like to do so I, I came here about two years ago, and I actually started seeing Pete, and I was actually living in a tent in the woods at the time because I get this, I have this thing about nature and just needing to put myself in the middle of it at certain points of my life just because it's fun. Even if I can live in a house and pay rent, it's just so nice to set up a snazzy little camp spot in the woods and hang out for a half a year and work. I would run businesses, but still my house would be operating out of the woods. And uh, anyway, so I met Pete and I was in my tent and I was interested in moving to Hawaii and teaching yoga and farming there. And uh, so that's what I was planning on doing at the time, and things kind of took off for us. And I ended up coming up to the farm one day, and it was actually, no, it was in the middle of the night, and a bunch of the chickens were out, and we just went down there and put all the chickens in, and I was completely just at home. It was amazing. So I started working here really quickly, running crews and doing a lot of field work and harvesting, and, yeah, I mean, I totally fell in love with this place. I've always loved. I've done some vegetable farming in the past. Um, but, yeah, I really fell in love with it. And I respect and appreciate dairy farming. But it's definitely, I've milked a lot of cows, and it's definitely not for me anymore. And growing vegetables has been perfect. And, um so yeah, I've been here. Let's see, I, I was running our wash house for a while, which is where... Um, I would do all the picking and packing and washing and coordination of our wholesale accounts and our farmer's market farm stand and our 220-person CSA, picking, packing, washing, all that jazz um, for those areas of the farm. And I got out of the wash house about a year ago. And it was good because it's such a key part of the farm. It was really good for me to pretty much jump in there from the beginning because it's when we work so hard on the farm growing all this food and, and the wash house is where everything comes through there and it all needs to be executed. All those systems need to be executed very 
smoothly and efficiently and yeah, it was really good for me to work in there for a while to get those systems down so that I can train other people now to do those. And, um, yeah, I got out of the wash house and really I wanted to be in the fields and the greenhouses and growing. And I was so lucky because I, I was coming into an established business and have all these great opportunities now where I get to dive into something that's already been going on for five years and be able to just make it as, you know, just make it as good as I possibly can. And on the other side of that, though, I really miss the fact that I'm not, there's certain things here that, you know, I can't say I built from the ground up, but there's so much room for new, new things on this farm that I am really blessed with the opportunities here. So, yeah, I do a lot of um, management of the greenhouses and our farmer's market and our farm stand. And I'm really involved with uh, Good Eats, which is our 220-person CSA. And I pretty much co-manage the farm with Pete, and we're pretty much full-on partners here. We really focus on our direct-to-consumer sales. That's a real love of mine is kind of establishing these great relationships with people and I think that, I mean, the people are always going to be here, and I think that those are the most sustainable ways for a business to kind of thrive and support itself, and I also think it's the most sustainable way for people and consumers to get what get their products. And so that's been a really exciting challenge is, is to boost our sales there, make it better, keep customers happy, offer more diversity. Um, yeah, so that's been good. And we grow a lot here. So the diversity, is just it keeps going and going and going, and we're trying out new things all the time. I feel um, like I'm a run-on sentence. We have to take a break <laughs> for a moment and have some music and thank our sponsors, Hearst Ranch, Family Ranch, for their sponsorship of our show. And when we come back, I want to um, talk to you more about the place where your farm is located, Hardwood, Vermont, um, the epicenter of cool, and um, get, your, get your take on where that region is going. But for now, let's go for one little second to music, and soon we'll be back with more Greenhorns Radio. This is your host, Severin, and uh, thank you for joining us. And this is Greenhorns Radio. I'm joined on the phone today by Meg Gardner. She is in Hardwick, Vermont, Crap the episode of Cool, and working with Pete at Pete's Greens. And we're going to talk a little bit about Hardwick, Vermont. Tell me about Hardwick, Vermont, Meg. So Hardwick, Vermont is this tiny little town in the northeast kingdom of Vermont, and more in the past year, pretty much, um, 
there is this group that has gone together in Hardwick, and it's called the Center for an Agricultural Economy, and it is a group of different business owners um, from the area and the surrounding towns of Hardwick that all have um, some sort of agricultural or kind of food production. I guess not everybody's food production, but um, the composting businesses. Um, it's a group of people who are pretty much focused on integrating, I guess, their businesses. Well, okay. What they're interested in is getting more people from the area involved in what's going on in terms of the agricultural practices and the food systems that are surrounding Hardwick. And there is, it's pretty incredible because there's some really amazing, ah, sorry, one second. Um, and how big is the town of Hardwick, just so we know, and how far away is it the from town other of Hardwick that other people funny. might know it about? Is it's really, really small, and I used to actually go there when I was a little kid, and we'd go to, like, the funniest, you know, they had, there's the sawdust mill, and, I mean, it's a tiny town that was not drawing a lot of people in, I would say, as of a couple years ago, but more recently, because of the businesses that are thriving around and in Hardwick. It's drawing more and more people in because of the opportunities there. And that's been kind of cool. And there's, there's a lot of stuff happening around Hardwick right now that's not happening anywhere else in terms of um, there's this wonderful restaurant that opened up just over a year ago in Hardwick, and it's called Claire's. And they buy in almost completely local food from all these surrounding farms in the area and businesses and Vermont products. And in the dead of winter, this restaurant is serving 80, over 80%, I think it's 83% local food, which is wild. I mean, and that's, that's just bringing people, a really diverse group of people who are just curious about what's going on into the area. And that's been pretty neat. So that's kind of, I mean, Claire's has been a really big hot, like, happening hot spot of Hardwick. Um, it's an awesome place to go and get a good cocktail or have a really good meal. They have something called Blunch in the morning. That's um, Sunday mornings, and that's really fun. And it's inexpensive, and it's local food. So that's kind of been neat because all these, all these, businesses in and outside of Hardwick can actually come to this place to see what their products are being made into and can also see people appreciating them in different ways. So that's pretty neat. But Hardwick has, I mean, it's got a real draw right now. A lot of people are, more and more people, I should say, are looking into moving there because, um, because of what's happening, there's a lot of new small businesses that are starting up, and it's it's definitely changing. Like Hardwick is it's turn it's kind of becoming just a really hip little little place to be. It sure is a place to be, and uh, we just had a um, Greenhorns uh, Young Farmer Mixer there 
couple weeks ago, and there were, I think, 74 or 76 young farmers there at the mixer and overflowing yeah. all into Claire's, and everybody was dancing and getting pretty drunk, and it was really wonderful, and it felt almost like it was a community kitchen, like everybody yeah. coming together to eat there yeah, and, it's, uh, and share. It's, and the, scale, the scale of Hardwick and the scale of, of what's going on there um, feels yeah, really like pretty neat place. what could go on in so many small towns around America. Sorry, I might have missed that if there was a question. <laughs> I know it's really hard to hear. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Um, let's talk. Let's just finish up and talk about um, what you think it will take for other towns um, around America to have the same kind of experience as you've seen in Hardwick. Like, what are the factors of success, and what what, what might we look to, and what might other entrepreneurs look to um, as they as they walk down that path of rediscovering local local enterprise and the the new the new scale of um the new scale of business in America. Um so I guess I would say in terms of like other you mean like in terms of young farmers or just other other farmers and producers, what would be some advice and like moving in kind of creating something similar? Yeah, exactly. Young farmers, um food food entrepreneurs um, ag business professionals, startup people. What should, well, they, what should so they do? And, say, and one thing I would highly recommend is um, Pete, who I'm with here, Pete Johnson, and then um, Tom Stearns of High Mowing Seeds, a couple of years ago started a business owners group where everybody meets once a month in the evening time at one or the other person's business. There's, I, th I think there's like 20 people, 30 people in the group right now. But when it started, it was quite a bit smaller. I think it was you know, maybe eight people. And once a month, everybody goes to one person's business, and they have a, a little potluck, and then there is kind of a, a subject of the night. And um, it could be, you know, uh, how to build your business, um, need help with your books, um, how do you go about getting the loans that you need? Uh, how do I deal with employees or do I want employees? Does it make sense? Um, all sorts of different issues arise. Um, so anyways, that I think has been, I started going to it with Pete just a little while ago, like a year and a half ago, and um, they've been, those, group, those meetings have been really helpful for, for me because for one, you're seeing what these other businesses are doing or trying to start up or working on. And it's really open, great advice, and you're all kind of in the same boat in terms of you might be op having different operations or trying to start different operations, but uh, you have to deal with some of the same issues. And so that's been neat because you're connecting with these potential new business owners or already existing business owners. It becomes this real support network. And through that support network, I think a lot of really positive things can happen like, oh, hey, well, I heard about this piece of land that somebody's leasing, and that's great. And then through another person in the group, well, there's the, you know, they might have the piece of, the piece of equipment that you need to borrow if we're talking about um, agriculturally trying to do something. Or I, I, there's a lot of different connections that can be made there. So this, this business owners group, I think, is, been a really 
cool idea and has been really beneficial to pretty much everyone in the group. And it's, it's been made like a closed group now because you end up really opening yourself up to this group of people in terms of what's going on within your business and books and things like that. But it's also, I think there's so much goodness and so much opportunity that can come out of that um, that I highly recommend people starting groups like that. Another thing is, I mean, I think one of the hardest things in terms of being a young farmer is accessibility to land and finding affordable land. And um, that is hard. I, I think that if you've got friends of the family or your family has, is, you know, into farming and they've got the land, that's great, but that's not all of us. That's probably not even all that many of us. And um, I think leasing land is a really great way to go in the beginning. Um, I think that if you can lease land for a couple of years, you can make a lot of money growing vegetables just off an acre of land. After doing that for a couple of years, um, being able to actually afford your own land is looking quite a bit clearer and um, more reasonable at that point. Um, I'd also say, I've been, I was actually thinking about this last night, that it seems like there is, there's a few places, I think there's many places around, where there's this need for a crop to be grown, but nobody really knows about it. So there's like five restaurants, and all they really want is white eggplant. And you could, you know, that's all they want, but they can't find it anywhere. And they'd be willing to pay a good amount of money for it, but they want to buy it locally. And I feel like there should be a place where these people can go and post what they're looking for so that these people who want to farm, who are interested in farming, can go and see what's out there instead of having to, like, jump right into the market, like, okay, I'm going to try to sell 50 different products this year, but instead can say, okay, this year I'm going to start with two products in this area that I know I already have a market for, and then from there be able to work into maybe what you personally want to grow or establish for yourself. So, but who knows? Maybe there is a place like that. I don't really know. Yeah, that's really good advice. And starting small and um, and growing growing the business organically, yeah, makes a lot of, like makes a lot more sense than jumping in and then all your lettuce is ready and you got to go dashing around trying to sell it. Yeah, I think that if you can connect with people who, I mean, I think it's really good to try to set up a market ahead of time, at least as much as you can, at least with a couple different products. Like it's always good to have your cash crop. Like you, you grow your lettuce and you grow all that, which is great, which you bring to your farmer's market, which brings people in, and they're always getting their you know, $2 head of lettuce. But you've got to be able to have those cash crops that you know that's what's going to be able to sustain your farm, at least while it's starting up. Well, and if they succeed a... and they become a farmer and, and things work out, um, is it a good life? Yeah, it's a good life. It's pretty intense. It's, um, well, I love food. So, I mean, I'm crazy about food. I could spend hours a day cooking, but I don't have even close to that amount of time. Um, it's a great life. It's, 
I love the diversity of waking up every day and being able to go on these adventures. Like, what the heck am I going to do to solve this problem? And it's just, it's yeah, it's a lot of fun. But it's also working and living with your partner. There's definitely some struggles with balance and when are we not working and that kind of thing. But work is pretty fun and work is life and work is play a lot of times. But sometimes you have to take a break and remind yourself it's okay. Take a break. Go do something away from the farm. It'll be okay. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a great life. It's, it's pretty amazing. I definitely, definitely love it. So, well, Meg, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, and you keep working it. I'm um, really glad to have met you, and I hope I hope to see you again soon. I've I've got a great um, a little plan to come back up to Vermont, and hopefully it will include a stopover to visit your farm stand and see how your green roof is going. Awesome. And thank you to our audience um, for joining us again for Greenhorns Radio, and thank you to our sponsor, Hearst Ranch. Um, Thank you for me, Severin. Uh, We are here, Smithereen Farm, um, greenhorns.net. Oh, Meg, let's make sure we say your website. Oh, okay. It's uh, peacegreens.com, and I'm Meg at Pete's Greens if you have any questions for me, Meg at peacegreens.com. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.